Good evening. It's good to see such a good number here today. We have some that are out of town, but I am so glad that the whole Hagen crew came into town. Y'all have really bolstered, bolstered our Sunday night service, and we appreciate it very much. You've got folks from Georgia and Florida and Texas and everywhere, everywhere you can think of. Even my Pinterest friend, Marie Catherine Hagen, here, is here. I, we, I follow her because she is like a kindred spirit. And if you want to follow someone really interesting, follow her on, on Pinterest. She and I think just alike. Everything she pins, we think just alike, except when we part company when you, uh, when you pin the guys that you think are good looking. Okay, so we part company then, but, but, uh, she's, she's one of my, one of my good Pinterest friends, and I'm glad she's here tonight as well. When I was in high school, I had a friend named John T. John T. came from a much wealthier family than me. But never, he never let that get in the way of our friendship. He was part of the Walnut Street congregation, mainly because his mother attended there as well. His father really wasn't a religious man. He was a very wealthy man, though. We had a big youth group at Walnut Street when I was growing up in the the 70s and the 80s, uh, and we did a lot of things together. But John T., he, he was one of my friends. He was so funny. Marie Catherine, you would have loved John T. You would still love John T. He was so funny. But at 16 years of old, 16 years of age, he was probably one of the best preachers that I'd ever heard. I mean, he was a lot taller than I. He was probably a, a head or two taller than myself. And he had this booming voice. Even at 16, he had this booming voice, and he loved the way he could use his words and his motions and his actions, and he was just great. And everybody thought, and the elders and the retired preachers that were going to Walnut Street, they were courting him. They were wanting him to go to Lipscomb or Freed Hardeman, and they wanted him to go into ministry. That's what they wanted him to do. <clears throat> One night, John T. and I went to Bellevue to see a movie. That's what you do in Dixon when I was young. You, the, the only thing to do in Dixon was go to Nashville, okay? And if, especially if you had a driver's license. And so John did, and he, we drove his mom's big, nice Lincoln Continental uh, to Bellevue one night to see a movie from Dixon. Uh, this is an exit. This is the exit going uh, going west. If you've ever been to Freed Hardeman, you've passed this this Dixon Fairview exit, 96 exit. And so we're we're coming back home and we're headed to this exit. That's where we got off. And and uh, John's driving in his big big Lincoln Continental and and we're just talking and talking and talking and we're getting closer and closer to this exit. And John T. is just talking. He's not really thinking. He's just talking. He's not slowing down. And we get almost level with this exit. And I, I shout out, that's our exit. Now, this is before it was a law to wear seatbelts. I didn't have a seatbelt on. And John T., when he gets about level with the exit, decides to make a hard right woo, and go into the exit. And it's a sharp curve anyway. Off this exit. And he makes this hard right. And I'm, of course, I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I'm flung over into his lap. 
And John is beating me with one hand and trying to drive the car with the other hand. And, and we finally get stopped at the end of the exit. We just sit there a minute and go, Whew. We just sit there for the longest time. Because we had just gone through something that was hard. It was awful. It was, it was scary. We laughed about it a long time after. And John T. could tell this story so funny about having that one arm here and beating me with his other hand like this, trying to get me off of him, trying to drive the car. He was funny. We had gone through a scary time and we had survived. All of the roads that we travel are full of hard rights, aren't they? Maybe not wild exit driving, but hard, hard decisions between right and wrong. Sometimes we have to make some hard rights in life. About who our friends are. That's one of the hard rights we've got to make. And who our friends are will help us in making those right and wrong decisions. Um, I apologize to the Hagen family. I, I usually would not come up with a sermon like this. But uh, in an explanation, uh, you have to blame uh, Eric and his wife Daphne for something like this. Um, and, and the elders of the Fountainhead Church of Christ. Um, we have started... Uh, from www.padfield.com. Uh, Brother Padfield, David Padfield in Zion, Illinois, is at the church there in Zion, Church of Christ. They have a wonderful website, and all of their material is free. And so we're using their material in our, in our Bible classes. All right? I'm teaching it in the, in the Sunday morning class. All of our teachers are teaching it Sunday and Wednesday. And then the lesson that we have, okay, the lessons that we have, I use them in the sermon. And today it's been about the relationship between Jonathan and David. So we talked about friendship this morning, that love between Jonathan and David, that great love that they had. And I'm going to continue on with that uh, tonight, about that that friendship that they had. Uh, Two of King Saul's children loved David and they had to make some hard rights. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, I didn't make handouts for tonight because mainly we're going to be in 1 Samuel and then we're going to turn over into Galatians. And uh, I, I won't be keeping you very long, I don't believe. Jonathan and, and Michal uh, were two of King Saul's children and they both loved David. They had some scary situations together. But I want us to look at this as far as a friendship goes. Uh, who was the better friend, Michal or, or Jonathan? Michal or Jonathan? Remember, we talked about uh, this morning the love that Jonathan had for David. When we look up that word that, for love that Jonathan had for David, and we look up the word that Michal loved David as well, it's the same word. They had the same type of love for David. And so I want to look at their, their, their love for David and, and see who was the better friend. Michal is uh, listed as the younger daughter of Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 49. And after David kills Goliath, 
he reaps the reward for doing so. And one of those rewards is to marry Saul's daughter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25. Saul, even though he despises David by this time, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17, then Saul said to David, Here's my oldest daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David, he doesn't feel worthy to be the son-in-law of the king. And, and, and at, le- at least that's his excuse in chapter 18, verse 18. But Michal loves David. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. It's the same word that's used how Jonathan loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the, land, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delighted in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. He butters him up with his servants. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. He was just a shepherd. David, David was humble. He knew, he knew where he came from. He knew he was just a shepherd. He wasn't a king. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired, therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full to the, in count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Now, the foreskins, I'm just not going to touch those. Okay, verse 20. Okay, I'm not going to touch those. I can't believe I said that. Michal's love for David, though, is not a sexual love. That's not what we're talking about here. Michal's love for David, but it's translated as more of an agape love. Michal loved David. And 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 28, thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. So they had bad in-law relations from the jump. Now look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. Let's get into to Michal and who she is. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music... With his hand. You know, even today, people with distressing spirits like Jack Daniels, Jim Bean, yeah, they seek to kill those who are close to them too. And Saul was like that. It was more of a, of, of, of a mental illness that Saul had though. He sought to kill David. Verse 10, Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul wants David dead. 
So much so that he's sending some hitmen to David's house to kill him when he comes out of his house that morning. Notice verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Michal so far is being a pretty good friend, isn't she? I mean, she's helping David escape. She made a fake dummy for him and put it in the bed so that people would think that's David. She's lying to her daddy. Then Saul, verse 15, sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Saul didn't care. I don't care if he's sick or not. Just bring him to me in the bed. I'm going to kill him tonight. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? When the pressure comes from Saul here, Michal caves in and she lies on David and says, I had to or he would have killed me. Good friends really don't tell lies on you, do they? Later, Saul gives Michal to another man after David runs away. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 44, But Saul had given Michal his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Yet after Saul's death, even though this happened, after Saul's death, David wants his wife back. And in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, Abner wants to make a covenant with David. Uh, Saul and Jonathan are dead. Abner, the general, is left alive. And he wants to make a covenant with David. He nearly didn't want to die that day. And David says, uh, verse 13, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Barum, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go and return. And he returned. Isn't that sad? Her, her second husband is so sad, he's following along behind her, crying. Abner has to say, Go on home. Go on home with yourself. Something happened to Michal, though. I don't know. I kind of feel sorry for her a little bit. She's played as a pawn in a lot of different ways. Her love for David must have soured because later she despises David. It doesn't say that she loves David. It says that she despises David. And she, she ridicules him for his religious zeal. Look over at Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 16, uh, remember the ark had been taken by the Philistines and it had been left by itself for a long time. And David brings the ark back into Jerusalem. That's where we pick up verse 16. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. 
So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the host. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both men and both women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. I'm sure the people are pretty pleased with David at this point, aren't they? Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, "How glo-, and this is tongue-in-cheek, believe me, how glorious was the king of David today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, he's not going to put up with this. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. She tell, he tells her real quick, I'm God's chosen. I was doing this for God. He appointed me ruler over the people of the, of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Verse 22, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. For as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in high honor. In other words, these maidservants, they'll esteem me, but you won't. You're my wife. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You see, Michal grew up a king's daughter. Kings just didn't act this way. But she had a husband who loved the Lord. And what she thought was a shameful way to act, God loved. And her, her hatred of her husband's love for God was stronger than her love for her husband or her love for God. <coughs> Jonathan, on the other hand, he loved David too, and is is stated in it's stated in Samuel First Samuel chapter fourteen verse forty nine. Jonathan was Saul's oldest son. He and David were were so close, and he had the same love for David that Michal had. First uh, Samuel chapter eighteen verse one. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. They were, they were knit together, as we talked about this morning. They were knit together. They were, they were knit together in unity. They were knit together in love. They were knit together in their devotion to one another. They were knit together. And there were some times when Jonathan had to make some hard rights. Jonathan had to stand up to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Saul wants David dead. And he tells Jonathan, I want David dead. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in, in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father... Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. 
Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. But see, Saul, his mind isn't right. His mind is just not right. Saul would not let the thought of David go. He knows David's going to replace him, but he, he wants to stop. He, he, it's like he could stand in front of the shore and stop the waves coming in. He, he wants to stop God's judgment. He, wants, he tries to stop the Lord's plans at every turn. When God wants something done, God's going to make it happen, isn't He? David goes to Jonathan after he escapes the first time what we talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? What have I done? David and Jonathan devise a plan to keep David safe. I I don't believe Jonathan understands how deeply his father Saul's madness is. He doesn't think David will be harmed by Saul, but they, they make a safety plan. And part of the plan involved a lie, chapter 20, verse 6, chapter 20, verse 28. I guess the, the saying is true, like we talked about in class this morning. A, a true friend will help you hide the body, won't they? Um, when Saul asked for David at a feast, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse, verse 28, Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. He, he really didn't, but that's the story that they had cooked up. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brother's. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against, not David, but Jonathan. And Saul begins to slam Jonathan's mother. Look, he says to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Us boys, we don't like somebody to talk about our mama like that, do we? That's what he says about his his own wife. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Has your, have your children ever got up in your face and they made sense? Yeah. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. By which Jonathan knew that he was determined by his father to kill David. When Saul tries to kill Jonathan, Jonathan knows that there's no hope. And he gives the signal for David to run away. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. It's an honor of Jonathan. He's the prince. And they kissed one another and they wept together. But David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. 
since we have both sworn in the, in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Later, much later, after Jonathan and Saul's deaths, David hears about their deaths, and, and he's crushed. Turn over to Second Samuel chapter 1. David writes a song, the song of the bow. David doesn't write about the bad times. He writes about the good times. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. The what? Saul tried to kill him three times. He chased him halfway across the country. That's not what David writes. He writes, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You know, my grandfather, I've told you about him before. He was a a member of the Tennessee House of Representatives. He was an elder in the church. Uh, My my aunt and my uncle, who are are passed on now, they, they found him in a barn. He had hung himself. But on his tombstone, even though he was out of his mind for a lot of his life, on his tombstone it says, You were the sunshine of our home. We remember the good things about those who've gone before us, don't we? Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. David and Jonathan were true friends. When we have to make hard, hard rights in life, we need true friends, don't we? David's son Solomon would later write Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This was so true of David and Jonathan, but not David and Michal. She didn't live up to another proverb of Solomon, Proverbs 18.24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. There's mutual benefit in rubbing iron blades together. The edges become sharper, making the knives more efficient in their task to cut and slice. And this indicates, this, this rubbing of the blades together indicates a need for consistent, close fellowship with one another. Sometimes we must make the hard decision of who is a true friend and who is a false friend? Please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26. There may have been some crazy and confusing roads that we've had to travel to find this out. But Galatians chapter 4, verses 16 through 20 gives great advice in choosing between true friends and, and false friends. If you remember from our studies in Galatians, 
Paul knows they are being led astray by false teachers who said that not only do the Galatians need to follow Jesus, they also need to follow the Old Testament too. Uh, they are what Paul calls Judaizers. And these Judaizers were, were false teachers. And they were pretending to be friends of those whom Paul had converted in the, in the uh, area of Galatia, in the, in, the, in the congregations in that area. They were preaching a different gospel. Begin with me, read with me, Galatians chapter 4 beginning with verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in the good things always, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. It's not always easy to know who true friends are. But we can see from Paul's words here that, that true friends say what you need to hear. Verse 16, a true friend will, will tell you the truth, even if that truth might make you their enemy. Verse 20, Paul's tone was, was even harsh. Sometimes we've got to get right with our friends. He had to get on to the Galatians. All the time he was wanting to change his tone. True friends will lead you to God. These people were leading the Galatians away from God. He had, he, he, we need good friends. We need good friends hearing and obeying and, and living the gospel. We need friends that will lead us to God. That's the kind of friend that I want to surround myself with. Not just acquaintances. True, godly friends. Godly friends will help us grow. They'll, they'll warn us of danger. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away from the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. A, a good friend will warn you of danger. A good friend will not just tell you what you want to hear. Listen to the Psalm of David, Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. Did you hear what he just said? Let the righteous, let the good people, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. What a great attitude. I hope we appreciate the value of a good friend, even a good friend that might get on to us every once in a while. That might tell us what we need to hear. Because they look at our lives and they see, man, he's, I'm worried about him. I'm worried about his soul. I'm worried about his salvation. On the other hand, we must be cautious of false friends. False friends will tell you what they want, and try to get you onto their side. Galatians chapter 4, verse 17, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. They want you on their side. 
They want you to believe like they do. When manipulation and lies abound, false friends will tell you what they, they want to say and what you want to hear, whether it's true or not. And we've got to be very careful about that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what false teacher friends will do. If you really want to know a good friend from a bad friend, ask this most important question. Are they drawing you closer to God, or are they leading you away from God? Is your friend drawing you closer to God or are they leading you away from Him? There's the mark of a good friend. John T. was my good friend. After high school, as I told you, they were really wanting John T. to go to Lipscomb or, 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 or Fried Hardeman and, and be a preacher. But John was a band guy. John was a wonderful musician. Wonderful musician. He played the tuba and um, he could play the flight of the bumblebee and it was just perfect. I mean, he was all state band. He was awesome. His dream his dream was to be the band major, the band leader at the University of Tennessee. That was his dream. He wanted to do that strut thing. I couldn't do it. I'm not even going to try to do it. But you know that big strut that they do? You know when they open up the T? You know the T comes out and marches onto the field and they open up that T and then that band major, he blows that whistle and he does that big high step down there. And the team runs out and the 90 plus 100,000 people are, yeah. That's what he wanted to be. And guess what? He got to be that. He got to be that. He got to live his dream. Those of you who have college students, you know sometimes college can be rough. John T. got up to University of Tennessee and Started drinking. Started running around with the wrong crowd. Decided that he was really homosexual. While he was at the University of Tennessee, this is in the late 80s, he contracted AIDS. I was going through my own trials at that time, but I was coming out of them and I was... I was I was back in the church and I was trying to be the best Christian I could be at that particular time in my life. But I just want to tell you, back in the late 80s, when you got AIDS, it was the death sentence for you. And I was very scared for my, for my, my friend, John T. He was driving home one night and he had drank too much vodka. He got into an accident on 96 Highway. He ran into a woman, and her elderly mother was in the car, and her elderly mother died in that car, rack, car crash. The next time I saw my friend John T., he was wearing orange, but it was the orange of the Dixon County Sheriff's Department because he was in jail. 
And I went to see him. I wanted to know his mind. I wanted to try to help him. I sat there and I cried with him. I wanted to know, I wanted him to know that I loved him. Even though he was, even though he was going through such pain, even though, and he, he promised me, he sat there in that, that orange jumpsuit, and he promised me that when he got out, if he could just get out, he would be, he would come back to God. He would leave that old lifestyle, and he would come back to God. He promised me that. He got one of the best lawyers in town. I told you he was wealthy. He got one of the best lawyers in Dixon. Brother Kearns, he was a brother in Christ, he got him off. He got him off. He didn't have to spend another day in jail for killing that woman. Couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. We all thought he's headed to the penitentiary, but no. He played upon the sympathy of the jury, and the jury thought, well, he's, he's got AIDS. He's, going to the de- he's got the death sentence anyway. He's still alive today. And he didn't change. He didn't change. We were no longer boys having fun. Maybe I should have been a better friend. Is there someone that we could be a better friend to? Is there someone, maybe it's your wife. Maybe you need to be a better friend to your wife. Maybe it's, it's one of your, your relatives. Maybe you need to be a better friend to your relative or, or, or your co-worker. Could you be a better friend to your co-worker or, or one of the people that you go to school with? Is there someone that, that you could reach out to, if not tonight, tomorrow, this week, and be a better friend to them, be a godly friend to? A friend is, I found this, a push when you're stopped, a guide when you're searching, a song when you're glad, a word when you're lonely, and a smile when you're sad. Are we helping our friends Go the one way that's right. There's only one way. It's hard right at times, but hard or not, it's God's way. Make the hard right tonight. If you need to obey the gospel, be a friend of Jesus tonight. As we talked about, Jesus said, if you're my friend, you'll do what I command you. I'm begging you. Jesus begs you tonight to obey the gospel as we stand and sing.